All right. Well, good morning, man. We're excited you're here. How many of you love The Chosen? And you've seen The Chosen, the series that's from The Chosen, incredible documentary, or not documentary, but just a, a, a reenactment of the gospel stories of the life of Jesus. I encourage you to dive into that. But uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5 this morning. Luke chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at Matthew. We're going to be looking at this tax collector. We're going to be looking at, um, by his, his name, what's referenced in this particular passage on Luke's gospel account. It's, his name is actually referenced as Levi. And if, as you know, the, the Greek and the Hebrew um, attributed different names to the characters that we find in the Bible. And so we're going to be reading about, about Levi. And as we begin this journey in the series, Meals with Jesus. How many of you love to eat? I love to eat. I love to eat. I love to eat. It's just like incredible when you come around the dinner table and you can just fellowship and you just break bread together. It, all of a sudden, it makes enemies friends, it seems, when you get around the dinner table. And so we're talking about meals with Jesus. We're going to go through the gospel according to Luke, and we're going to look at several different meals that Jesus had around the table. And as he was sitting at the table or reclining at the table, we'll see. As he is doing that, we're going to look at these different interactions. And how many know these interactions are unique? They're different. There's some startling interactions that happen around the dinner table. And, and that's no different than us, right? How many of you know when you eat dinner, it's, it's not always pleasant when you're eating with the family or you're eating with distant relatives or other people around? There's different conversations, but what also happens around the dinner table, you, you start philosophizing about life. You start theologizing, if you will. You start talking about the, the news, and, and you start thinking about things to conversate, and, and many things happen around the dinner table. It's where, it's where fathers disciple their, their children, and, and mothers pour into their daughters, and so many moments happen around the dinner table. So I'm excited to read Luke chapter 5, 27 through 32 this morning. And to set this up, you have Jesus who has just been performing different miracles. He, he, he healed a person who was demonically oppressed. He, he had a demon, and so he healed the demoniac. There was a leper there who was untouchable. If you were a leper, you weren't supposed to socialize. You were actually, you were ousted out of society because leprosy was so contagious and yet he touches a leper he touches a paralytic where a man was paralyzed and he gets up and he begins to walk and here he comes in this moment in luke chapter 5 where he begins to touch somebody who has social disfavor social disfavor as we read or as we just watched there's a there's a character levi right there who's at the tax booth and there's social Disfavor. In fact, you even look at the tension among the disciples, don't you, uh, Jesus? You really, this one? How many of you, you know, sometimes you wonder about maybe your neighbor, your coworker, a relative. You're like, oh, Jesus, I don't know if we want them to come to church with us, you know? You save your invites to church. You save your invites to small group. You save your invitations of the gospel message for, for those that, that you like. But those who may be a little different, those who may be on the outside, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withhold my invitation from them. Maybe, Jesus, you want somebody else to reach them in another church. Right? You know, they, they look funny. They act funny. They smell funny. I mean, it's worse when they smell funny because if they look funny, you just look away. When they smell funny, there's nothing you can do. 
But Jesus loves people, and when he calls the disciples, and what we'll see around the table is we're going to see this deep, great love that Jesus has for people, this affinity towards his creation, and how he wants to redeem a people. What I love about the table that we'll see is there's redemption and reconciliation happening around the table, and lives that are so separate and so far off and seem like they can never be reached, you find them coming close to Jesus, drawing close to him, and Jesus starts changing them and shaping them. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 5, 27 through 32. This is the English Standard Version. If you're new to church with us, there's many different translations of the Bible that are written. And, and uh, this, this, they're, not, they're not contradictory or different, but they're, they're written in different ways for us to be able to absorb. Some are word-for-word translations from the Greek to English, the best that we know how. Some are paraphrased. And... And uh, some are a mixture of both. And so here we have a more literal word-for-word translation, the best that we know how to do that in our English language. So it says in verse 27, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Point one, that if you're taking notes, point one would be this, is that there's people with evil, evil motives all around us. There's people with evil motives and evil intentions. Attentions. You look at this, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the one who are leading and being the voice of God for the people in Jerusalem and throughout Israel, they are there. They're making sacrifices on behalf of of the people there, they are teaching, they have a group of followers typically, and they would teach them and impart to them the, everything, uh, the Torah and everything that they learned and how to pray and how to move and how to uh, follow the law so strictly, right? Because it was, by, it was by following the law to the strictest degree that you would be closer to God. And so they begin to impart this, but Jesus comes and he starts shifting the the nature and the culture. Are you so grateful Jesus shifted the nature and culture? I'm so grateful for that because now it's this, this shift where it's not just Jew, but now it's Greek, it's Gentile, it's you and me in San Antonio, Texas. It's it's shifting it towards us, and, and it's no longer this, this merit-based religion, but it's a full of grace and relationship. And I love that because by it, I have fully been changed. My life has been changed forever because I'm a recipient of this great gift. How many of you love to receive gifts? I just love it. just love to receive. And this is a moment where Jesus comes and he gives a great gift. And, and, and here you have the Pharisees where they start grumbling. They start talking and chattering about this Levi and 
all of his friends and all of these sinners who are around the table and they start talking about them. Have you ever felt judged at church where you feel like people are talking about you? Uh, am I the only one? Okay, thank you. And you know, you feel judged. You feel, you feel like, man, there's these people or, or maybe they're making you go through a, a couple of motions and doing a couple of check boxes. If you, if you really want God, you need to dot, dot, dot. If you really want to be close to him, you have to be a better person. You have to be better. And what I love is in this moment, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and they're grumbling. They're grumbling, and they start complaining. And this word grumble here, we find it, we find it in the Old Testament scripture. We find it in history, this word grumble, this, this moment of the Pharisees in their self-righteousness grumbling and complaining about what is happening before them. And it, it, you could go back all the way to the Israelites. When they're in the wilderness and God brings them out of Egypt, out of captivity, moving them towards the promised land, and they're grumbling. You remember that? They, they start grumbling about the food and they start grumbling when they get the food. Now they want meat and they start grumbling about different things. And how long will this take, Moses? And give us water, Moses. And God, how did you bring us out here? It was better back in Egypt. They start grumbling. And, and I think sometimes this is just an insight into the scripture that if we find ourselves grumbling, um, perhaps we're moving into a place of discontentment with the Lord, where he would want to place us and put us. If we find ourselves grumbling and complaining about, oh man, it was better back then, or it'll be you know, better over there, but we, we, we're not okay with what God's doing right now. You know, we, we may be in a place where we may be a little pharisaical. We may find ourselves like this. You see, this is a moment where we start seeing hypocrisy in, in, in people's hearts. Um, Jesus, oftentimes, when he saw religious leaders, he would see them as hypocrites because they would do everything on the outside but nothing on the inside, which we'll talk about at another meal. And, and there's all this hypocrisy that happens. And yes, 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 Jesus wants you to follow him. He wants you to do great things. He wants you to love him, and he wants you to surrender to him. And your life should look different in every way, but, but it's not just this outward thing. It should be an inner thing. And you know this when somebody acts differently outside their home than when they do inside their home. And you know who picks on a, up, up upon it the most is children. You see, children can see the hypocrisy of their parents. And you wonder why sometimes children go into a deep rebellious state because maybe they see some hypocrisy. Hey, you, you claim one thing outside, but you're different on the inside of the house. See, hypocrisy is a thing that can destroy, and it's destructive, and its root is, is very rebellious and sows seeds of rebellion. So much so, you'll see that the, there's so much rebellion that takes place, they actually end up sacrificing the king of kings. So much envy, so much jealousy, so much rebellion of what God's doing and resisting that. There's different, there's different barriers be, uh, between people and Jesus that are stopping God's redemptive work in someone's life. So there's different barriers that keep you from relationship with God and different barriers that keep you from reclining at the table versus just grumbling and being with him. The first thing is this is, is um, that we could, the first barrier is judging others. 
When you bring judgment towards others, it creates a barrier between you and God, where you start judging them and judging what they're like, and you start grumbling. We can also, we can also do this. Um, we can also stop God's redemptive work or his plan by judging others or judging different people. Meaning this is like if, if God starts working in somebody's life and then you start coming in to be the judge of the situation and give them a list of do's and don'ts. And you can sometimes jeopardize the work that God is doing in his redemptive state in the person's life. We can also jeopardize what God's doing in the redemptive work in someone's life by, by avoiding spiritual conversations with the people. So you know this is like the Lord would sit there and he would start ministering to somebody and they would start uh, moving around the dinner table and they start asking questions. But you avoid all spiritual conversations where you don't even talk about Jesus. You quit talking about him. You quit, you quit that and you're, you're more in yourself. And we could do this by being the Pharisees and telling Jesus what he should be about. You jeopardize what God is moving around the table, how he's moving in sinners and tax collectors and the people by, by, by judging them, by, by complaining, by grumbling, by giving them a list, by avoiding the conversation of reconciliation with Jesus, and also by this point of, of telling them, telling Jesus what he should be about. You see, this is the thing with the Pharisees at the table. When they were with Jesus, they would oftentimes tell him what he should be about, what he should be doing. Have you ever found yourself telling God what he should be doing? It's interesting, right? Like, God, you should be doing this. God, you should do this right now. There's a difference between telling God something and asking him to do something, isn't there? And oftentimes we find ourselves, which is a Pharisee mindset, of telling Jesus what he should be doing and what he should not be doing. And this is a good self-examination for us is, how are we doing this? How are we moving? The second point is after, after we see this grumbling and all this stuff that is happening and we see, we see these evil motives, we see this next point where Levi actually enters his call into ministry. He enters his call, explains, he, he, he starts explaining to Levi, come follow me. And you just saw the video, it was like so quick, but there's three things that happen when, when Levi begins to follow, follow him. The three things that we see in here, the first thing is that he left everything. To enter God's call in your life, to follow Jesus, to respond to that, you must leave everything. Everybody say everything. How many of you want to leave everything? It's hard to leave everything because familiarity. Right? You, you get accustomed to certain ways. There's, there's familiarity that happens. And you're so familiar with maybe the addiction that you have that to really follow Jesus means that you have to leave something that you're so familiar with that has pacified you and got you by life this far. And yet Jesus would say, yeah, follow me. Follow me. You must leave everything. You must leave everything. Follow me. But it's so familiar, God. It's so familiar. I don't want to leave this. It has helped me cope. It's my coping mechanism. It, it calms me. You know, I, I love, I have friends who are addicted to different things and it's like, no man, it's my therapy. And the truth is, is 
The answer to call to follow Jesus is leaving therapeutic living to realize that he's enough therapy for your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is enough? That he can see you through, he can help you, he can move. I was just talking to Dr. Russ Coates uh, last night at our dinner at Hill Country Daily Bread, and he just wrote a paper talking about mental health and how Christianity actually helps the mental health of an individual. Being in a church, being serving and doing all that, and I'm gonna read his paper and tell you what all it says. But the truth is, is like it's, it's hard because of familiarity, and it's crazy because here you have this moment where, where Jesus, before this, just cast out a demoniac. He just cast out a demon out of somebody. And, and the thing is, is if people come and they hear the call of Jesus on their life, say, come, follow me, and they come, but they, they, they aren't ready yet. They're not quite ready. They're not quite ready to go there, and you move, and you start speaking, and, and, and you start moving, and you cast that demon out. Sometimes they're not ready for that demon to be loose. Because if they're not ready, sometimes you'll clean the house. And what does Jesus say? Seven, come back. So are you ready? Are you ready to be free? Because the truth is, is you could be delivered. God can move and he could show up, but spirit of familiarity. You see, when you, when you hit your low, that's when you decide. You know, when, you, when you're high, it's like, man, I'm high. You know, yes, Jesus. But when you hit your low, your rock bottom, that moment that hits your soul and says, what are you going to choose? Who are you going to follow? Follow me, leave everything. The second thing that we see right here is he rose up. He said he, he left everything, and then he rose up. He stood up from his seat of comfort. He, he was leaving everything, and, and I don't know quite how it's translated. Maybe he's leaving everything. He's already decided in his heart, but now there's this moment where he's actually standing up, taking action for what's already happened internally. Kind of sounds like salvation, doesn't it? Where uh, there's a work that's already happening internally that God's already moving in your heart, and then all of a sudden, what? Confess. There's, there's this action, there's this moment, there's this thing that begins to happen, and he leaves, he leaves this seat of comfortability. How many of you have been in the same seat? You know where to go. How many of you love, like, eating the same thing every day? Like, I just love that. I, I love wearing the same clothes every day. Just ask my wife. I, I, want, I want a black shirt, and I want jeans, and I want some tennis shoes. That's all I want. I don't have to decide if it matches. I don't even have to ask her anymore. Hey, does this match? Because I already know it does. It's like liberating. It's like so comfortable, you know? I could eat the same thing every time, taco palenque every day. <laughs> you know, there's those people out there, regiments, you know, the regiments, they wake up at 5 a.m., they, they pray, they spend time with the Lord, then they go work out, and then they get the kids ready for school, and then they take their kids ready to school, then they're to the office by 8, then they check all the emails, and then they have their morning meeting, and then they know what they're eating for lunch because they actually 
prepackaged their lunch, right? You know those people, they're crazy. And they prepackaged their, their lunch, and it was grilled chicken and, and, and like a side of white rice, you know, that doesn't have any salt on it, and it's gross. And, and they eat that, and then they continue working, and then that night they know exactly when they're going to eat, and they're not going to eat past 7, and they're going to be in bed by 8.30 so they can wake up again at 5 in the morning. So comfortable. What if, what if that analogy could poke you in a way saying, I want you to leave your comforts. I want you to rise up because you're about to do something different. When Jesus calls you, you leave everything and you leave your comfort because you're about to do something different. The third thing he did, he, was, he followed him. Left everything, he rose up. He followed him. Left everything, he rose up. He followed him. The following is the obedience. God does a work in you. He starts moving. You rise up. You start confessing. And now it's time to obey. It's time to start walking. Start following him. This is the mark of a disciple, after all, isn't it? John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey what I say. If you love me, you'll do what I say. You won't question it. It won't be you telling me what to do. It'll be I telling you what to do. It'll be me. It'll be God telling you what to do. And you will obey. And trust me, I tell you, if you obey, your life will have no regrets. It will be the best life you could ever possibly live. Woo. He gives life and life to the full. He gives life and life abundantly where you start walking and moving and all of a sudden your life starts changing and then you move to this place where you start enjoying Jesus. Everybody say, enjoying Jesus. You start enjoying him, enjoying Jesus. See, Levi starts following him and what does he do? He finds himself at a feast with Jesus. He's reclining in another seat not one where he's taking money uh, and doing this thing away from people and doing it illegally and becoming all these enemies. Now he's sitting with Jesus, and the enemies that he's making is just the religious folk. He's sitting there, and he's enjoying them, and he's enjoying Jesus in this moment, and he's having this moment where they're feasting. This feast, this word feast is equated with a banquet, a banquet. Banquets were made to be celebrated and made to be enjoyed. When you follow Jesus, you get to enjoy Jesus. You get to be with him. You get to sit with him. And he starts changing you and moving you. And you find yourself going to him in a great way. But there's so many Pharisees and religious mindset, and sometimes the church has done a bad job where it says, oh, no, you're not worthy to sit at the table. You're not worthy to eat with Jesus. You didn't read your Bible today. You looked at that website yesterday. You did that other thing the day before. You're not worthy. You need to clean yourself up and then come to the table. But what you see here is Levi invites all his friends to the table. And they're all sinners. Jesus wants to be near the smelly people. 
wants to be close to those who feel unworthy because he wants relationship. He wants relationship. Romans 5.20, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The more law we have, the more we just realize that we're sinners. How I many know that's true? It's like, I'm, I'm okay driving over the speed limit until they start posting all the speed limit signs and the yellow lights start going, you're in a school zone. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I am speeding. The law reveals the condition of your heart, but Jesus says where the law has revealed condition, grace abounds much more. The gift of God in relationship comes much, much greater, much, much more, and it comes to redeem a sinful heart, to change you and to draw you close so that you can be with Jesus, so that you can be with him. We see, lastly, that Levi, what does he do is he begins to go to his oikos, his community. He finds the people around him, and he starts looking at the people around him. And when Jesus calls you, you leave everything, you rise up, you start following him, but you don't go alone. You start the banquet, and you invite all your friends and neighbors to go with you. You're like, bro, you got to enjoy Jesus. Come with me to enjoy him. He is amazing. He spoke to me with such authority that it changed me forever, and now I live for him. Come check him out. Come see who he is. Josh, will you come close me out up here? Jesus came so sick people can repent and get well. This is why he came. He told the Pharisees this. And they're grumbling and they're complaining. Why this is happening? I love this. It's because Jesus speaks to them in their questions and in their grumbling and in their complaints. And he said, I have come not to save the righteous, but to save the sinner. I have come to save the lost. This is what he's come to do. So sick people can repent. Repent. If you're sick in here, if you find yourself sick in this place, if you find yourself far away from God and you've been living your own life and you don't know him, Jesus would say this, I want you to follow me. And to follow me, you must turn away, leave everything, get up, and start walking. This is what Jesus' invitation to us is this morning. It says in Acts 3.19, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Doesn't that sound like a banquet? Doesn't that sound like some enjoyment? And that he may send the Christ appointed one for you who is Jesus. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Your sins are blotted out because of the blood of Jesus. Because of what he's done for you, not by our own merit. We just turn and put trust in him. And times of refreshing may come. The presence of the Lord starts filling. We start enjoying Jesus. So how do we respond to Luke chapter 5? What do we do? Lord, what do we do? Well, we must examine our heart. So I'd love for you to just close your eyes right now if you're comfortable and bow your head and get in a posture to receive. God can talk to you with your eyes open for sure. But when you change your posture, sometimes you change your ear. 
you start listening differently. We examine our heart. The question I have for you is, have you been enjoying Jesus? Have you been enjoying him? Truth is, there's a first group of people in here, and you're like Levi, and you're comfortable. God's been calling you for some time, but you've just been comfortable, and you're not ready to trust him or follow him. I want to tell you right now that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner, over one person who repents. There's more joy in heaven when one person repents and says, I'm tired of trusting my own way. I'm tired of trusting my own seat. I want to start following Jesus. For you, it's to simply invite him into your life. And you can do it through a simple prayer in your own words. Jesus, I love you. I see my sin. I turn away from it. Thank you for blotting out. Thank you for forgiving me. I'm trusting you today. I confess you're my Lord in Jesus' name. The second group, you have evil motives. There could be a group of people in here and you have evil motives. You've been too busy to invite Jesus to the meal and recline with him. Too busy grumbling, complaining about your situation, complaining about the people around you, complaining about this church and that church and that pastor and that small group leader and my wife and my husband and my kids and this situation and lack of money. And you just start grumbling and complaining and you find that that is a barrier to restoration with him. And Jesus would just simply say, come to me. Come to the table. Come to the table. Invite Jesus to the table this week. Maybe it's the dinner table and you haven't prayed around the dinner table in a long time. Pray over the dinner table. Maybe Jesus is calling you to step out and start inviting people. Hey, quit complaining, start inviting. Maybe he's calling you to do that this morning. So we're going to take a moment right before we take communion. And we're going to ask this question. Jesus, is there something you want me to know? from today's sermon. Jesus, we're listening. Is there something you want me to know? And just wait on him. Maybe you'll feel an impression. Maybe it'll be a word. Jesus, there's something you want me to know from Luke chapter 5. And the second question is you're praying and you're asking God and you're reflecting. Jesus, is there something you want me to do from what I just heard today? And the Holy Spirit will speak. And it may be as so simple as saying, Yinny, trust me. Maybe that's simple.
Father, we thank you for this time. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would stand with me this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion, if you're able to stand. If not, you need to sit there and reflect. That's fine, too. But every Sunday, we gather as a community, and we remember Christ. I remember that Jesus is enough. Without him, I don't have an invitation to the table. Without him, I don't know what it is to enjoy. I have glimpses and moments, some common grace that it gives humanity, but when I know him, oh, I enjoy him. So we come to the table today, and we're doing it a little bit different this morning. We're going to invite you during this song, and you're going to come down. You're going to actually leave your seat if you're able. And you're going to come down, and we have two communion stations right here. We have a glass, and we have bread. And we'd ask that you would dip it in the juice and then partake of the bread and juice. But before you come down and during this song, I'm going to bless our communion this morning and bless this moment. And when you return to your seat, feel free to worship how you feel like the Lord would want you to worship this morning, whether it's reflective or it's outward. So, Father, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you that your body was broken for us on the cross. Jesus, you made a way when there was no possibility. You made a way. So, Lord, bless this bread. And, Father, thank you for your blood, which is the atonement, which makes dead people come to life. Life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. And so Jesus, bring new life. We remember what you did. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your sacrifice. Bless this cup in Jesus' name.